I am glad you're here today. If you've got one of these, uh, you can take that out and start looking for Mark chapter 4. If you don't have one, um, the, the verses will be on the screen. Honestly, if you've got a smartphone, though, you ought to download uh, UVersion. It's a Bible app, and you can do on live events on UVersion. Just pull up Connection Christian Church. You'll have the whole message outline, including the scriptures, just ready to go right there on your smartphone. You can do that, too. And we'll trust you if your smartphone's out there, you're actually doing that, not like playing Tetris or, you know, Angry Birds or something. All right, so Matthew chapter 4, and uh, this is where we're going to be studying today. I just want to kind of read the first couple of verses of Mark chapter 4 to set the context for what we'll be looking at later. It says here, On another occasion, Jesus began to teach by the lake, and the crowd that had gathered around him was so large that he actually got into a boat and sat, at it, sat out in it on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge, and he taught them many things there at that time. Jesus probably did this a lot of times in his teaching ministry. He took advantage of the opportunity when it presented himself, itself. Um, just a really creative solution if you think about it. you got large crowds of people who want to hear him, and they all want to kind of see him and be around him. So to get in a boat and go out in the lake a few yards offshore, brilliant. First of all, everybody can kind of spread out and see him. More than that, the acoustics of his voice traveling across the water meant that everybody could hear him. A couple of his disciples were fishermen, so they probably had their boats right there. Just a really creative, easy solution. Get in the boat, get on the water, start teaching. All right, so how many of you, just show of hands, how many of you enjoy time on the water or in the water? Maybe like me? I grew up, like, from the earliest age taking swimming lessons, so I've just always loved being in the water. I love going on float trips and being in the pool. And just my favorite vacation, one of them, is to go to the beach and snorkel. Now, I know I don't have the skin for it, but <laughs> I love it, you know. How about you? You like going out in the water? For some of you, a great day on the water looks different than others of us. Maybe for you, you like to get in the pool, and you got the float, and you got the ice-cold beverage, and you're just kind of soaking up some rays, enjoying a day at the pool. Some of you, others, you know, like maybe you like to get on the river. You love to go kayaking or canoeing, right? So maybe it's just that's a great day in the water. Anybody like to go scuba diving or whatever? For some of you, uh, maybe... A little bit of danger needs to be a part of the experience. Uh, um, you know, maybe you like to go whitewater rafting, or you like to go uh, jet skiing or water skiing, or you get at the jet boat or the speedboat. You just you love to get out there and uh, just have a great time in the water that way. Some of you, you just need a boat. You need a John boat, a paddle boat, a houseboat, uh, any kind of a boat, because you want to go fishing like this guy. Don, you got to help this guy out with your truck. He's probably headed out to Ricky's house with the, the John boat to the lake, to the cabin, but yeah, it's just not working. Actually, I got this from Jeff Foxyworthy yesterday, so somebody's thinking there. That's a, a great day. Anybody say a great day on the water is a day that I'm fishing? Yeah. yeah. For some of you, 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 you do live a little dangerously on the water. Anybody go surfing maybe? That's your thing. How about, you know, one of the more dangerous things you can do anymore is go on a cruise ship on the water, right? Between pirates and the air conditioning breaking down and food poisoning and somebody pushing you over the edge and you get left on the island when the boat leaves. There's like a lot that can go along with that. Some, isn't it nice though just to have water that God created that, that a nice day to soak up some rays, just get some fun on the water? Now some of you though, you're like, no. <laughs> when you think of water, it's not your greatest joy, it's your greatest fear. Whatever it is about it, just like, I just don't really want it. I, maybe you're the person who says, if I'm going on a boat, I better have a life jacket. You're like, you take the ferry over to Grafton, you're like looking exactly where they are, and you're counting the number of people on the ferry and how many life jackets there are. You're like, if I even have to get on a boat at all, I want to know that I'm going to be safe because water is your greatest fear. I don't know. Maybe you didn't learn to swim growing up. Maybe 
your parents didn't know that you watched a movie you shouldn't. Like anybody, you're old enough, you watched Jaws when you shouldn't have, and you couldn't go in the ocean after that. Maybe you watched Anaconda or Piranha or Sharknado. I don't know. What did you? <laughs> you watched something Friday the Thirteenth. Some of you are old enough to remember this. You think it's all over and she's in the canoe, and then remember that, and you couldn't go in the water after that. You know, I told you that I I love the water. Ironically, one of my greatest fears is associated with the water. Ever been on a float trip in a a muddy Missouri River? Actually, if you've been in any muddy river, you know how this works. Trees will fall down into the water. Sometimes they'll stay across the river, but more often what happens? Float alongside the bank, right? So you got this tree trunk along the bank, maybe two feet out, and the water is just rushing by in the river, but the water between the tree trunk and the bank is just dead and brown and full of all kinds of crud. And in my mind, every horrible thing I ever had in a nightmare or I saw in a movie is all living in that little bathtub of water between the tree trunk and the bank of the river, including a balled-up coil of snakes just waiting for an unwary swimmer to dive in there. So that's like the worst thing I can imagine is falling into that. And I was on a float trip in junior high with my youth group. We were going down the muddy Burbis River, a little tiny little, it's more of a creek than a river, I guess. We got to one of these little tree trunks along the bank and we got our canoe up there because it was a great place to go swimming. So we, we were getting out of our canoes onto the, ba- the trunk and jumping back into the river. So I'm standing on the tree trunk, waiting my turn to jump. The next person who was getting up on the trunk bumped me, and I fell backwards. Oh, I'm still today. I'm like, I'm pretty sure there are grooves where my fingernails were scratching that tree trunk trying to get back. Didn't ever stop to think, you know, if I just swum underneath this thing, I could be out in the river like that. But, yeah, some people have their greatest fear associated with water. The, the account that we're looking at this morning in Mark chapter 4, um, it started at the edge of the lake. Later that evening, it became one of the most terrifying experiences the disciples ever had, and it was on the water. If you jump down to 35, here's what happened. So Jesus has been teaching all day. In verse 35, later that day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, hey, let's go over to the other side. The other side of what? The other side of the lake. They're on the Sea of Galilee. It's a lake up there in northern Israel. So leaving the crowd behind... They took Jesus along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. Verse 37, a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. And Jesus was back in the stern sleeping on a cushion. And the disciples woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? And Jesus got up. He rebuked the wind and the waves, and he said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down. And it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they they were terrified. And they asked each other, who is this man? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Who is this man? Just try to get this scene in your mind, would you? There's several boats in the late afternoon as the sun's coming down that are going to go across the lake. These aren't power boats. There's no big motor in the back. It's not yachts with big sails. These are just wooden fishing boats. Big enough, they're bigger than a John boat, but probably big enough for about 12 to 15 guys and the fish they catch. And they're, they're going across the lake, rowing as they go, and the sun is coming down. And just keep in mind that at least four of Jesus' disciples made their living on this lake fishing before Jesus called them to follow him. You've got Peter and Andrew, who are brothers, and they work together in a fishing business. You've got James and John, who are also brothers, and they worked with their dad, Zebedee. They had a fishing business, too. They knew their way around a boat. They knew what the Sea of Galilee was like. They just like, hey, this is my turf. I understand this. These, these guys are not wimps. They're not inexperienced. 
if this storm terrified them, it's a storm worth being scared of. These guys would fit right in with the guys from Deadliest Catch. They're tough guys. And so Mark says this wasn't just an ordinary storm. This was like a furious squall, the same word that you would use for a hurricane. It's no ordinary storm. It's a doozy. As a... Thinking back to a time back when Kirsten, my wife and I, we lived in East Tennessee and our oldest daughter was just a baby at the time. We had a furious squall come up one Wednesday night. It was, it was a doozy. It was good. And I remember it was Wednesday night because we had just come home from church and the tornado sirens went off, which is really unusual in Upper East Tennessee because the mountains usually broke up storms like tornadoes before they could ever really form up. But I grew up in the Midwest. Kirsten was born in Kansas. We know what a tornado looks like when it's coming. The air kind of gets green. Everything is really quiet. We're like, wow, this is a real deal. So we're, we're home from church about 8 o'clock. Tornado sirens are going off. Kirsten and my daughter Alyssa are down in the basement. Where am I? Out on the side porch watching. And I, I haven't seen good storm in a while. I'm ready for this. And so it, you know, it gets real quiet, and all of a sudden everything breaks loose, and there's lightning and thunder and rain and, and wind. And found out later the tornado went like a mile or two from our house right across. And the thing about tornadoes there, they don't form up, but if they do form up in a valley, watch out because they will ping-pong from mountain to mountain, just bounce around doing all kinds of destruction. And a friend who um, flew airplanes, and he said he went up afterwards, and he said you, you could just see where the tornado went. It just zigzagged, and you could see the, the trees were just mowed down. There's like this wide, mile-wide swath where the tornado had just bounced around. It's a furious storm. The disciples that night were in one of those kinds of things. This is like a storm that can kill you storm. They were rightly concerned. And see, the Sea of Galilee, I don't know if you, I think we might have a picture of, of what it might look like. The Sea of Galilee is ringed around by these hills. Some of them go up 2,000 feet. And then the sea itself is like in a basin. It's almost 700 feet below sea level. So what would happen is these winds come over the mountains. They swing down into this, this bowl, and they just push ahead with great speed, and they push this wall of water across the lake. Anybody who happens to be on the lake when one of these things is coming through is probably going to be at the bottom of the lake before it's all over. I mean, it's just a dangerous thing to get caught on the lake when one of these storms is coming through. And the guys knew this. They, they're rightly afraid because this can kill us. Yeah, we could probably relate. Maybe you've never been caught on a lake in the middle of a storm, but you've probably been in some scary situations because life is, like, full of things that are scary. Life is full of all kinds of things that are... At, at the same time, though, I always keep this in mind, something that Michael de Montaigne once said. He said, My life has been full of terrible misfortunes, most of which actually never happened, but still. I don't, maybe it's been your experience. I don't know how it is for you. In my life, I've had lots of things that I've worried about, and a lot of them never really actually happened. But I just, I believe that, like, it's because I worried about them. Like, that's how it didn't happen, because if I don't worry, then it will actually happen. Maybe you've had some things that, uh, that you've worried about, some things you've been afraid of in your life, whether they happen or not. I'm looking around. Some of you are old enough to remember this. Remember... Uh, the Y2K crisis. Remember that? Every, computer programmers didn't think about what would happen when we went from 19-something to 20-something. So everybody's like freaking out in 1999. What's going to happen? Y2 chaos. All the computers are going to shut down and the power grid's going to go down and flights are going to crash and you know, there's going to be riots and chaos. The financial system will go down because all the computers are going to crash. So everybody's out there like craziness, right? They're, they're stockpiling water and food and building shelters and they're getting solar-powered hair dryers, <laughs> whatever. You're like, you know, this nothing that's electronic is going to work, everybody's thinking. You remember what happened? December 31st, 1999, over to, to January 1st, what happened? Some of you were actually at our apartment because we still lived in Lake St. Louis. You remember that? Like, nothing happened. 
One guy's PC out in New Melly maybe crashed, but that was it. There's like nothing happened. All the things we worried about didn't really happen. At the same time, there probably are some things that, that are worth being worried about, being fearful over. I like what Gene Apple says. He's a pastor. He says, we live with all these fears in life. We live with the fear of difficult conversations. I'm going to have to talk, and I don't want to. Uh, we have fear that our life won't matter. We have the fear of insignificance. There's the fear of financial calamity. What's going to happen? How are we going to make it? There is the fear of a difficult decision that you know you're going to have to make eventually, and you know it's going to take courage. And you don't know where that courage is going to come from. Fear strikes in the home of a a, a five-year-old child who's going to kindergarten for the first time. It's a really upsetting event. There's tears and there's, uh, you know, all this chaos and there's this weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth until, you know, finally the five-year-old says, come on, Mom, I'm only going to be gone a few hours. It's (laughs) chill. It's going to be okay. All kinds of things that you can probably think of in your life that are worth getting worked up over, right? Disciples could say, you know, this is a night that we will never forget. This was something worth being scared of. You know, they were concerned the storm would kill them. And you don't have to read between the lines to realize they were also a little bit concerned that Jesus wasn't concerned enough, <laughs> right? They're a little upset with him. And so they wake him up in the middle of a storm, which says so much about Jesus right there, doesn't it? That he can sleep through a storm that has the potential to kill them. I mean, we talk about Jesus and he's fully human, right? Because you're like, how could you sleep through a storm that it's raining on you? and you're so Actually, some of you know that because like, you wake up and your spouse says, that was quite a storm last night. When I shook that, you're like, what storm? <laughs> Jesus is that person who could sleep through a storm like that. And they wake him up like, Jesus, don't you care? And he's like, I'm taking a nap. Leave me alone. They came on board carrying life preservers. Jesus came on board carrying his pillow with the Star Wars pillowcase on it. He's like, I'm, I've been teaching all day. I'm going to take a nap. You guys just deal with this. And the disciples, again, you don't have to read between the lines. They're ticked off at him. Like, I don't think they woke him up so that he would stop the storm. I don't think that was on their radar screen because they were shocked when he did that. I think they woke him up so that he would help bail and, and row. You know, like, you, it's your idea for us to go out on this stupid lake in the middle of a storm. Anyway, you ought to be at least helping us not die. They woke him up. Do your part. Don't you care that we're all here in this trouble that you got us into? Have you ever prayed like that? Come on. I know you have. Maybe you can say, I don't even pray, but have you ever expressed that thought or had that thought toward God? Like, God, a um, little help here? <laughs> you know, I'm going through some really tough, tough stuff here. I could use a little help. Do you not see where my, my finances are, God? I, I think any time that you want to step up and help me, God, I would appreciate it. God, my health, you know, like this is supposed to be my best years, and I could really use you coming through for me, God. This situation I'm dealing with at work, God, I don't know if I can endure this anymore. Do you even care what I'm going through, God? Have you ever talked, even if you've never talked to God that way, he already knows what you're thinking, so you might as well say it to him, and it's okay, by the way, to pray that way. But have you ever expressed that thought or had that thought toward God, like, where are you? So again, I go back to what Jesus did. This is classic. They wake him up. They want him to come help Baal. I just picture Jesus. He was so deeply asleep that he has to sit up at the stern. And he's like looking at his feet for a few seconds, just trying to get his bearings. Okay, where am I again? Oh, yeah, I'm out on the lake. And I kind of picture him wiping the sleepy out of his eyes. And then now he's awake, and he makes eye contact with a few of the guys. Like, really? You woke me up for this? 
And then he makes his way over because the storm's still going, the waves are still going. He makes his way over to the side of the boat. And he's like, shut up, sit. You know, like he's Caesar Milan, the storm whisperer. And it's a naughty puppy. And instead of a storm, he's like, S- be still, sit, be calm. And here's the miracle. The miracle's not that the storm stops, because every storm stops eventually, right? They go, they move on, or they dissipate. The, s- the miracle here is the storm stopped like that. One minute there's lightning and wind and rain and, and waves. The next moment it's calm, and there are stars. And the disciples are all of a sudden just like, what just happened here? And then Jesus turns to them, and he's like, guys, really? Why were you afraid again? Where's your faith? You didn't need to be afraid of this. I don't know if you realize this or not. Maybe you've heard this before. The most frequently given command in the Bible is not, like, behave yourself. (laughs) The most frequent command in the Bible is fear not. Don't be afraid. It's okay. This is ironic because, you know, the disciples, in verse 41, they go from being terrified of the storm to being terrified of Jesus. Fear not. No, we're, we're afraid of you now, which is pretty interesting, considering this is not the first miracle they've seen Jesus do. By this point, they've seen Jesus, like, heal people. They've seen Jesus cast out demons. They've drank wine that Jesus made out of water. They've seen him do powerful things. Now, but let's kind of get in their shoes, because we, kinda, we have the benefit of being 2,000 years after it. So, yes, they've seen him heal people and do miracles, but They're kind of like in the category of he's a really good guy, exceptional teacher, a a powerful healer, yes, but calming a storm puts him in a whole new category. He's like got control over the weather. They've moved from respect for Jesus to awe of Jesus. And in that moment, they ask the question, and it's a very powerful question, who is this man? And I'll tell you this. That is the most important question you will ever ask and answer yourself. Who is this guy? Who is Jesus? This guy that just told the storm to stop and it did. Who is he, really? I don't know what you think about Jesus. There's, There's a whole spectrum of what people think about him, honestly, in culture today, right? There's the people who put him in the same category as Santa Claus, the Easter Bunny, and the Tooth Fairy. And then there's people who go, no, I don't really say that. I think he really existed. I think he's probably a really good teacher, a moral man. He said a lot of good things. We probably should emulate his, his teachings about love. Good guy. And there are people who go, maybe he's a little bit something. The disciples are starting to move out of the camp of good guy to something a lot more than that. And I want you to see what the Bible says about Jesus. Now, whether you agree with it or not, whether you've embraced this or not, I want you to know that the Bible says Jesus existed long before he was born 2,000 years ago on Christmas Day. By the way, what a great coincidence was that? Be Jesus be born on Christmas Day, right? If you were to go in your Bible to Colossians, it's, it's after Mark, and uh, if you go to Colossians 1, here's one viewpoint about Jesus. It said, boy, he existed a long time before he ever showed up on earth. And I'm going to read this out of the New Living Translation. I think it might be in your worship folder. You can underline some of the key phrases here. It says here in the Bible, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. And you can underline this. He existed before anything that was created. And he is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. And then you can underline this. He made the things we can see, and he even made the things we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through Jesus and for Jesus. 
Jesus existed before anything else, and here this is another big thought. He holds all of creation together. Now, again, you can agree or disagree. You can say, I still want to think about this, but the Bible presents Jesus as having existed before the world was ever created. The Bible presents Jesus as more than just a man. Yes, he's fully human. But before that, he was also fully God. He is the son of God who has always existed, and it was through him that the entire universe was created. That's who was in the boat with the disciples that night. Okay? And I just want to give you one example, if this is true, of how powerful Jesus really is. I, I don't know when it was. I was probably elementary school, junior high. I had this like epiphany, this aha moment when I realized that like the stars, the little dots of light you see at night, and our sun are actually the same thing. I, I know it should have occurred to me sooner, but it's like I always put them in two different categories. You've got the sun, which is really hot, and then you've got these little tiny dots of light. And I, I finally just realized, whoa, the sun is just a star that we're really close to. And it changed everything for me. So I'm sorry, like, I'm really interested in stars now. I'm reading all about them. I'm looking. And what I came to realize is our sun is a pretty good star. It's, it's a, it, it knows what it's doing. It's a pretty decent-sized star. However, there is a whole new category of stars that I found out about. They're like the heavyweight division. And there's a big boy that you've got to talk about when you talk about the big stars. His name's Betelgeuse. This star is enormous. How big is Betelgeuse? Just picture this. If you could unscrew our sun from the center of our solar system and replace it with Betelgeuse, how big would it be? Would it be like twice as bright in our sky? Would it be four times as bright in our sky? Let me, let me illustrate. Let's say that right here where I'm standing is the center of our solar system, and you get, we're all in orbit around it, so we take the sun out. You guys here at the sound booth, you guys are like Mercury. And you guys there in the last row of the first section, you're the orbit of Venus, and then you guys in the first row, you're the orbit of Earth. Go a little further back, you guys about halfway up, you're Mars. All the way, way in the back, you guys pass the asteroid field and everything. You guys on the back row, the cheap seats, you guys are the orbit of Jupiter. So here's the sun, there's the orbit of Jupiter, like 300 million miles or whatever it is out there. If you put Betelgeuse in the center of our solar system, the outer edge of it is all the way out to you guys at Jupiter. We wouldn't be looking at Betelgeuse. We would be inside of Betelgeuse in the orbit of Earth. It's enormous. It's still not even the biggest star in our universe. And you think about this. With one word, Jesus said, let it be. And there was stars like Betelgeuse and our sun and trillions of other stars out there just with one word, and he holds it together today. That's how powerful Jesus is. With one word and with his authority, all of this came into being. That's who's in the boat with the disciples that night. His power is unimaginable. Spoke all this into existence, and the disciples are standing there, and Jesus, knowing all of this about himself, says to them, why are you afraid? Do you think a guy who created Betelgeuse is going to be afraid of a little storm on a little lake, on a little planet, in a little solar system, in a little galaxy? I don't think so. I got this covered. I think if you were to look at what Jesus was saying to them when he said, why are you afraid? I think he was really saying to them, I don't think you guys realize who you're standing in front of. And I think the disciples at that point would say, you're right. I don't think we realized who you were. <laughs> you may be a lot more than what we realized. Now, I, I, as I said, I think these, these tough guys went from like admiring Jesus to being in awe of Jesus, but that's fair. Wouldn't you be a little freaked out if you were at lunch with your best friend and he like or she stopped the weather? Wouldn't that put your friend in a whole new light if you realize they control nature? Wouldn't you think about it? Ooh, I hope I've been nice to my friend all those. <laughs> they can do a lot more than I realized. And that's where Jesus' disciples are at. They're coming to realize he's a lot more than we ever, ever imagined. And I told you, what's the most repeated command in the Bible? 
Fear not. You know what one of the other biggies is? Fear God, which sounds contradictory, but let me just tell you, like in uh, Psalm 111 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs uh, 14 says, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. It's a good thing to fear the Lord. Hebrews in the New Testament, Hebrews 12 says, we are to worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. It's like healthy and it is smart to, f- to fear, to respect, to revere God. You're like, okay, but again, isn't that contradictory? Fear not, but fear God. Fear, but no, 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 don't fear. No, no, it, which one is it? Right? Well, think about it this way, first of all, and maybe this will help make sense of it. Do you really want there to be a God that you're not kind of a little bit scared of? Like the healthy way, like you have a healthy respect for electricity or a, a lion on the savanna in Africa. If God was not powerful enough to, re- to elicit a little fear and awe and reverence within you, would he really be God at all? Would he be worthy of worshiping? If Jesus wasn't just a little bit intimidating, would you ever want to respond? Think of it this way. If Jesus isn't great enough to elicit that sense of reverence and awe, is he even greater than anything that I fear? So the Bible says, fear God. This is a smart thing to do because he is powerful. And he is awesome beyond anything you can imagine. But then the Bible comes right along behind it and it says, all right, fear God. But you don't need to be afraid because I'm on your side. I am the most powerful being in existence, and I am for you, not against you. So fear me, and you got nothing else to worry about. I'm on your corner. I want you to think about something Jesus said to his disciples on another occasion. It's in Mark or Matthew. So if you just go back from Mark, you'll be in Matthew chapter uh, 20. I'm sorry, chapter 10, verse 28. And Jesus is getting ready to send these same disciples out on a mission. And it's going to be a little intimidating to them, and they're a little bit unsure of how things are going to turn out. They might face some opposition. And so Jesus is giving them this encouragement. He says in verse 28, Don't be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. No matter how bad somebody opposes you, the only thing they can do to you is kill you. That's as bad as it can get. You know, what you really ought to be afraid of is be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, who's he talking about? He's like, oh, be afraid of Satan because he can destroy your body and your soul. No, it's not the devil. See, you need to fear God. Only God can destroy your body and your soul. So he's the one you should reserve all that fear for. But then he puts it in perspective. He says, fear God, but don't fear anything else. Like he says this in verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? In other words, they're like nothing. They're a dime a dozen. Yet not one sparrow will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. And God's tracking the, the most insignificant thing you can think of. God's got that under his control. Verse 30, even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. Come on. I think think Jesus is like chuckling at that point. If God has got the sparrows and he's got their back, you think he's got you and your life under control? John 16, 33. Jesus said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Now in this world you will have trouble, but hey, take heart. I've overcome the world. If the worst thing that can happen to you is this, don't sweat it. I got that covered. Romans 8.31, one of my favorite verses. What shall we say to this? Actually, read this together with me. If, what shall we say to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? Let's do that again. If God is for us, who can be against us? 
This comes down to a very important question. The disciples asked it, who is this man? I think the most important question we can be asking is, what have I done with this guy, with this man, with Jesus? Have you come to a point in your life where you've admitted that you need this man who can be greater than your fears? The disciples eventually got there. That night in the boat was one of those foundational moments in their life. It was like a turning point in how they saw Jesus. You know, and they did something smart. They kind of swerved into it. They didn't do it on purpose, but they turned to the one person who could truly help them in their time of need. They woke up Jesus. Yeah, they probably woke him up to Baal, but in the end, he actually provided them the help they needed. And over time, they came to look at Jesus not as just as great teacher, but they came to see Jesus as the one who was worthy of all their respect, the one that they could submit their lives to and, and follow under his leadership and his authority, that, that they could ask him to forgive their sins and he would be able to do that. And so they became convinced that Jesus was more than a man, that he's God in the flesh, and they worshipped him as that, and they submitted their lives to him. And that's a powerful perspective to come to, to realize that, yes, God is awesome and he's, he's, he's right here, but he's on my side and I can submit to him and trust him and follow him and it'll work out okay. Are you there yet? I think some of you probably are. Maybe like a year ago, God wasn't even on your radar screen. <laughs> you weren't even thinking like, church? No, no way I'll be in church. But you strangely find yourself being drawn to Jesus and you're considering his place in your life and you're Maybe you have just recently come to the place where you're saying, I do want Jesus to be the Lord of my life, the leader of my life. I want him to be the one who forgives my sins, my Savior. Maybe you've done that a long time ago and you have embraced Christ. Where are you on that scale and where's God moving you to? What do you think about Jesus? You know, right now, some of you, all other things aside, you are like in the midst of a storm and the wind is blowing and you don't see any way out of it. Can I just invite you to turn to God in this time and ask him for help? You know, the Bible says that God is our refuge, he's our shelter, he's our protection in times of trouble. You can turn to him. My experience, I'm an old guy now, I've been walking with God a long time, and he has never failed me, and I've never seen him fail anyone. You can trust him. Can I invite you to stand right now, and let's pray, and we'll sing, and You know, if you've got questions or things you want to explore more, you can talk to me, one of our leaders, one of our elders after service. We can set a time and talk and answer every question you've got. Study this. But the important question to wrestle with right now is, what's God in your life right now? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your compassion, your love. We do respect you. We're moving towards you. Please uh, open the eyes of our hearts so we can see Jesus for who he truly is, that we can see all the incredible power and majesty that's there, and yet at the same time, the, the kindness and the grace, the mercy, the forgiveness, the, just the absolute gentleness that you have toward us, Father. You don't treat us as our sins deserve, but the, you just hold your hand out and you invite us to come to you. So it's really honestly what we're doing today just putting ourselves in your hands and we're trusting you so father please lead us all where we need to be give us courage to act on the things you're whispering into our hearts today just please bless us with the sense that we've been in your presence today and i pray all this in jesus name amen